What's up, world? I'm Cameron McKinney, and this is Pop Culture Spotlight, a podcast about the movies, the Banshees of Inishirin, and Armageddon Time. First, let's talk about the Banshees of Inishirin. Here's a quick synopsis. On a small island in Ireland, Inishirin, a man named Patrick learns that his best friend, Colm, no longer wants to talk to him. The film stars Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Kerry Condon, Barry Keoghan, Pat Short, and John Kenny. Standout performances. Colin Farrell is a rare breed. He's an actor that was chosen for movie stardom after starring in Joel Schumacher's Tigerland, Steven Spielberg's Minority Report along with Tom Cruise, and Phone Booth again with Schumacher, and then starred in some really big misfires. SWAT, Daredevil, Alexander, and Miami Vice while also dealing with his own personal demons. Over the past half decade or so, Farrell has bounced back in a massive way and it has a lot to do with the filmmakers he's been working with in that time span. Martin McDonough with In Bruges in 2008 and Seven Psychopaths in 2012. Peter Ware with The Way Back in 2010. John Lee Hancock with Saving Mr. Banks in 2013. Yorkos Lanthimos with both 2015's The Lobster and 2017's Killing of a Sacred Deer. Sofia Coppola with The Beguiled, also in 2017, Steve McQueen with 2018's Widows, Guy Ritchie with 2019's The Gentleman, and the four 2022 movies Colin Farrell has starred in have been directed by excellent filmmakers, Koganaga's After Yang, Matt Reeves' The Batman, Ron Howard's 13 Lives, and The Banshees of Inishirin, his third film with Martin McDonough, and in it he plays what some may say is a simpleton who really values people being nice to one another, and was taught to be that way by his parents. This past decade and a half has proven Farrell isn't a movie star who can coast on his own charisma, but he is a leading man who can get lost in a role. He has more in common with Daniel Day-Lewis than he does Leonardo DiCaprio. Farrell, in my opinion, has had the best year an actor has had this decade so far, and it seems as though he may get his first ever Oscar nomination for this performance in this movie. He's so funny in this, and if you find it hard to believe Colin Farrell being funny, then you need to watch him in Horrible Bosses. Farrell's next project is the Penguin miniseries with Palm Springs star Kristen Milioti. While Farrell has solidified himself as a leading man, his co-star Brendan Gleeson has quietly been one of the more reliable supporting actors. His filmography includes the Best Picture winning Braveheart with Mel Gibson, Martin Scorsese's Gangs of New York, Danny Boyle's 28 Days Later with Killian Murphy and Naomi Harris, both in 2002. Most probably would know him for playing Mad-Eye Moody in the Harry Potter films. His last few big movies have been Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt, the Coen Brother film The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and The Tragedy of Macbeth with Denzel Washington. Washington, directed by Joel Cohen. Gleason, of course, worked with Colin Farrell on In Bruges, where they played hitmen. Gleason is a powerful presence in any movie. Like Farrell, Gleason has never been nominated for an Oscar, and that might change with this movie, and would be fitting for this duo to get recognized together. Gleason and Banshees of Inishirin is playing a complex character who is thinking about what he wants the rest of his life to be. His best scenes were the one where his character is 
is confessing at a church. Gleason is next going to have a role in the Joker sequel with Joaquin Phoenix and Lady Gaga. Barry Keoghan is not the most famous young actor working today. He's not as well known as Timothy Chalamet, but he's making a real case for himself to be the most interesting one. His big breakout was Killing of a Sacred Deer with Colin Farrell. That same year, he showed up in Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk. He's also great in American Animals with Evan Peters, David Lowry's The Green Knight with Dev Patel, where he plays a scavenger, and he was even good in The Mess That Was Eternals. In Banshees of Inishirin, he's a really funny and sad figure at the same time, and there is not a lot of young actors who can pull that off. He can take over a movie without a lot of screen time, which is another thing you don't usually see from young actors. He's a young character actor. In the future, there is a chance of Keoghan playing the Joker in a sequel to The Batman, in which he had a small role in, and The Eternals, where he played Druig, is also likely going to have a sequel. His next movie is Saltburn with Rosman Pike and Jacob Elordi, written and directed by Emerald Fennell, who is coming off of the massive success that was Promising Young Woman. The breakout star of the Banshees of Inisherin is Carrie Condon, who plays Siobhan, the sister to Farrell's Patrick, and for me, she gives the second best performance in the film. I love how she is the voice of reason, and is kind of the in-between for both characters. She's nice like Patrick, and curious and smart like Colm. There's one great scene between her and Keoghan that is one of the best scenes I've seen in a movie this year. I think there's a chance all four actors, Farrell, Keoghan, Gleason, and Condon, get Oscar nominations. The director of The Banshees of Inisherin, Martin McDonough, is one of my favorite filmmakers, and it's because every single character in his movies are important. It's not only just about the leads. Going all the way back to In Bruges, every single character has a purpose and a moment. I think that's something he has in common with the Coen brothers. McDonough also makes brilliant dark comedies that in the hands of other directors could turn people off and feel grotesque. The guy also just knows how to get the best out of well-known movie stars. Colin Farrell, Sam Rockwell, Woody Harrelson, and Christopher Walken, Francis McDermott. The list goes on and on. You want great actors to work with Martin McDonough. A lot of people are claiming that Banshee is a bounce back from his last movie, Free Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. I just don't understand the hatred for that movie. Francis McDormand and Sam Rockwell are fantastic in it. I also really liked Woody Harrelson. And rightfully, Rockwell and Francis McDormand went home with Oscars because of that movie. What I really liked about The Banshees of Inisherin is not only is it really funny, it also has a lot of really interesting things to say about friendship and how being a nice person is undervalued by art and how it's remembered and how we all think about how all our lives are going to play out. How some people just accept their situation while others try to change theirs. A lot of people have pointed out we usually don't get movies about male friendships, especially ones that are ending. I mean, this era of male friendship movies have been about how strong they are and how they're never going to end. Movies like Superbad. This is a movie about a male friendship ending and that is something that happens in real life. Oscar chances. I hope I'm wrong about this, but the Banshees of Inishirin right now feels like a movie that's going to be nominated for a lot of Oscars, but possibly end up winning zero at the end of the night. I personally would love to see McDonough win for Best Director or Best Original Screenplay, and of course would like to see one or more of these performances win. I hope I end up being wrong. I think Colin Farrell deserves to win Best Actor at the Oscars. 
Rodgers. I haven't seen Brendan Fraser in the whale. Maybe that's a better performance. But right now, Colin Farrell would be the guy I would want to win. I would love for Barry Keoghan or Brendan Gleeson to win Best Supporting Actor. And I definitely do think Carrie Condon in this movie gives the Best Supporting Actress performance of the year so far. The best chance for this movie to win an Oscar is probably its screenplay. Overall, The Banshees of Inishirin is the funniest movie of 2022 so far. It's got an excellent, absurd tone. I love when something is whimsical and relatable at the same time, and that's exactly what this movie is. McDonough knows how to get the best out of Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, and if you're a big fan of In Bruges, don't worry, this movie is just as good, if not better. And that's the last thing I want to say about this movie, and how brilliant it is that Martin McDonough chose this movie to be the one that reunites Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, because if he had picked the wrong movie, it could have gone sideways. What's brilliant about Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson being the ones to star in this movie is that we, the audience, have a prior relationship with them because of In Bruges, so we can buy them as a friendship. We don't have to spend hours and hours thinking about, oh, do these two have chemistry? Are they believable best friends in a movie? Because we have that prior relationship of seeing them in In Bruges, we buy them as friends, and it makes it equally sad that they're breaking apart. McDonough is turning these two actors into an iconic pair, and you really don't see that in movies anymore. I mean, back in the day, you used to have Paul Newman and Robert Redford, and then in the 90s and early 2000s, you had George Clooney and Brad Pitt. We really don't have a movie duo. Right now, we have Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, and I hope Martin McDonough continues to make movies with the both of them, but I hope he continues to choose the right movies, because the Banshees of Inishirin was definitely the right movie to reunite this pair. I just want to see more Martin McDonough movies in general. There is some speculation that his next movie is going to star Oscar Isaac, Sam Rockwell, and Christopher Walken. I cannot wait to see Oscar Isaac in a Martin McDonough-type movie. I don't think McDonough is as good as the Coen brothers, but I think he is the closest thing we have to a modern version of them, because now they've split up, they're both doing their own thing. Martin McDonough is the closest thing we're going to get to getting a Coen Brother-esque director. There's also just a bunch of actors who have worked with the Coen Brothers who have also worked with Martin McDonough. Brendan Gleeson has worked with the Coen Brothers. Francis McDormand, of course, has worked with the Coen Brothers. Oscar Isaac has worked with the Coen Brothers. Woody Harrelson as well. I think there's a reason why the same actors that have worked with the Coen Brothers want to work with Martin McDonough. I love the Banshees of Inishirin, and I hope at the end of the day, Martin McDonough is standing there with a golden trophy next to Colin Farrell, who has just won Best Actor at the Oscars. Now let's switch gears and talk about the movie Armageddon Time. Here's a quick synopsis. After getting in trouble, 6th grader Paul Graff is pressured by his parents and grandfather to change schools, and at his new school, Paul learns that not all kids are treated equally or fairly. The film stars Banks, Rapetta, Anne Hathaway, Jeremy Strong, Jalen Webb, and Anthony Hopkins. Standout performances, Jeremy Strong has become super well-known for playing Kendall Roy on the hit HBO show Succession. He's won an Emmy and has given one of the best performances in recent TV history. What doesn't get talked about enough is how good he's been in movies. Before I saw him in Succession, I saw him in Adam McKay's The Big Short. I love his scenes where him and Ryan Gosling go at it. He's also great in Aaron Sorkin's Molly's Game with Jessica Chastain and The Trial of the Chicago 
Chicago 7, where he shares all of his scenes with Sasha Baron Cohen, and Guy Ritchie's The Gentleman with Matthew McConaughey. And after watching his work in these movies, I've come to realize he really is a chameleon of an actor. In every movie, he drastically changes his voice and appearance. In Armageddon Time, he's playing a father who is both funny at times and very stern and struggles with the idea of being the head of his family. Jeremy Strong, along with Jared Leto, have been ridiculed for being the modern faces of method acting. And here's what I have to say about that. No matter what he's doing to become these characters, he's super effective at it, and that's all I care about. And in Armageddon Time, he gives one of his best performances yet. Strong is next slated for a supporting role in Bradley Cooper's Maestro. I've been a massive fan of Anne Hathaway since seeing her in The Princess Diaries. She's one of my favorite movie stars, and I feel like over the last few years, she's been let down by and chosen bad movies to be in. People have forgotten how good of an actress she really is, and I was reminded of that when I saw her in Todd Haynes's Dark Water with Mark Ruffalo, and in Armageddon Time, she's not given big moments like her co-stars, but I walked away being just as impressed with her. This is a brilliant, understated performance. She's playing a character who is a PTO member at her son's school, and he can't quite comprehend what that means exactly. It's been said by some that director James Gray does not have great female characters in his films, and I disagree with that. They are not leading characters, but they play prominent roles. You have Charlie Theron in The Yards, Gwyneth Paltrow in Two Lovers, Marion Cotillard in The Immigrant, Sienna Miller in The Lost City of Z, Ruth Nega and Liv Tyler in Ad Astra, and now Anne Hathaway in Armageddon Time. Hathaway will next star in the movie She Came to Me with Marissa Tomei and Peter Dinklage, Mother's Instinct with Jessica Chastain, and Eileen with Thomas and Mackenzie. Sir Anthony Hopkins is in his 80s and is doing some of his best work ever. That's unheard of for an actor. In 2019, he starred in The Two Popes and was nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars. 2020, he starred in The Father, playing a man with dementia, and for which he won Best Actor at the Oscars. 29 years after winning Best Actor for Silence of the Lambs, he's a powerful presence on screen, and when he says something, you stand up and listen. Hopkins has upcoming roles in Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon and One Life with Helena Bonham Carter, Jonathan Price, and Johnny Flynn. And later this year, he'll be in Florian Zeller's follow-up to The Father of the Son with Hugh Jackman, Laura Dern, and Vanessa Kirby. It's interesting over the last few years how the grandfather has become a prominent role in movies about families. I mean, last year you had Belfast with Kieran Hines, and now this year you have Sir Anthony Hopkins in Armageddon Time, and usually the grand grandfather is portrayed as a more friendly figure than the kid's parents. I was listening to an interview when somebody said that Anthony Hopkins in this movie is kind of the Jiminy Cricket of the film and I think that's the best way to put it. You can't talk about Armageddon Time without talking about its kid leads Banks Rapetta and Jalen Webb. If these performances were no good, the entire movie would fall apart. They are the emotional hearts of the movie and their friendship felt very authentic it's how real-life kids act when they're friends. The director of Armageddon Time is James Gray, whose last two films were of much larger scale than this one. They were The Jungle Adventure, Lost City of Z in 2017, starring Charlie Hunnam, and the space epic Ad Astra in 2019, starring Brad Pitt. I love both films.
films, but before that he made movies set in New York, 1994's Little Odessa with Tim Roth, and four movies starring Joaquin Phoenix. 2000's The Yards, 2007's We Own the Night, 2008's Two Lovers, and 2013's The Immigrant. To me, he's one of the best New York directors of all time, and Armageddon Time is his return to that setting and his most autobiographical film to date, and I want to give Gray credit for how he depicts a younger version of himself. He doesn't make himself a genius or heroic figure. Most filmmakers don't put their childhoods under a microscope and examine their moral failures, and that was super refreshing to see. Some movie critics have taken to task the racial elements of the movie Armageddon Time, and here's my view on what Gray was going for and what I got out of the movie. You have a white kid, the fictional version of Gray, Paul Graff, and his black schoolmate, Johnny Davis. In the film, both kids get in trouble, but the punishment and the outcome for both kids are vastly different, and it's because of how they are both viewed by the adults in their lives. I find it hard to say that Gray went too easy on his main character, because this is probably how it all played out in real life. I don't think he let himself off the hook. I think routinely, America has let some off the hook while punishing others. I also found the political side of the film to be interesting. The Trump family is represented in an interesting way that I won't spoil. My point is, if James Gray is depicting exactly what happened in real life, how can you say he's doing it in a cliched way if it's exactly what happened? I think he's being honest, and I think a lot of movies are being over the top with how they deal with some of these type of storytelling elements. And I think he was being more honest about his past self than most people are willing to be. We all want to look at ourselves as a favorable figure in our past, that we were on the right side of things. He's admitting he was not. And the fact that after all these years, he's still willing to look back on it and judge himself, that's super rare and worthy of praise in my eyes. Oscar chances. I believe either Jeremy Strong or Sir Anthony Hopkins will be nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars. I would love for both, but don't see that happening. And the one I want most to happen is an Anne Hathaway nomination for Best Supporting Actress. It's unlikely because she isn't given a showy moment like Strong or Hopkins. If I had to guess who's going to get nominated, I would go with Jeremy Strong. I think he's been the one who's received the most praise for his work in this movie. I think it's his best performance in a movie so far. I think he's going to get nominated. Will I be shocked if it's Sir Anthony Hopkins instead. Absolutely not. He's a two-time Oscar winner. If Anthony Hopkins is in a movie, there's a good chance he's going to receive an Oscar nomination for that movie. As for James Gray, he should absolutely be in the discussion for Best Director, but he won't be because he's an underappreciated and underrated filmmaker. He makes smaller movies. They're not showy. They're naturalistic. And they're not in your face. Overall, with Armageddon Time, James Gray was able to look back at his past with his family while also taking a look at the kind of people who have been quote successful and how it really has nothing to do with who they are as people but has everything to do with their social standings in society. A lot of people are acting like this is the movie about how James Gray became James Gray. It's not. He's using himself to show us what the world has become and that's really a fascinating way to make
make an autobiographical movie. Thanks for listening to this edition of Pop Culture Spotlight. I'm Cameron McKinney, and there'll be a new episode of the podcast every Thursday on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And I highly recommend you check out the movies The Banshees of Inishirin and Armageddon Time. These are two smaller movies made by two of the best directors working today, and these movies deserve to be seen and talked about. <laughs>